When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, it's Canadian Mike, and instead of a Canadian fun fact for this final Canadian intro, I will be giving a very quick Canadian food review in that I have had all dressing chips, Schwartz's meat, and beaver tails, and all three are absolutely delicious, and thank you to all of the people who tweeted at me that I should eat them. You are all correct. Anyway, now that that's out of the way, let's get into this episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. From a programming perspective, this is part five of the Puffs coverage. There will be part six, and then we'll be done covering the play. We still have some interviews, which I'll release in the future, but not right now, so that it's not just all Puffs all the time, nothing else. We will be moving on to the Fantastic Beasts movie soon. We've got some fun guests lined up for that, so get ready for a fun takedown of two movies that I really did not enjoy. But flipping to something that I do enjoy, that is people supporting the show and keeping it going. So thanks to our newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterlisk. Want to give a shout out to Brooke, Kimberly Savage, Ellis, Hop Lee, Brecken Eli, and Death Gollum 97. And of course, as always, a huge shout out to our producer level patrons. Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clown, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya Floor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marique, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Pita, Janin, Callahan, Leah, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's Mom, Madison, Tonk, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Lior, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Jennifer, Henrique, Delkis, Katrina, Casey, Megan, Zat, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Dedekins, Alaria, Gregory, Stan, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Ashley, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Jenna, Laura, Gila, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff, Brett, Hunter, Mary, Artemis, Trans People are People, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Joe, Punkfish, Rochelle, Wire Warrior, Catherine, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Ever make grocery runs to get two specific things, and when they get to the grocery store, the two specific things they need are out of stock. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to director's commentary, the patron-exclusive Discord, monthly live streams, bonus episodes, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 159 of Potterless, part five of our Puffs coverage guest starring Katie Nutman.
Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and then he watched a wonderful play digitally and impersonally, and now I'm here to talk about it. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined again to discuss the remaining parts of Puffs with the person who started it all off. It's Katie Nutman. Katie, how's it going? Hi! Things are things are good. Happy 2021. Yes, we're recording this on January 4th. So, you know, four days into the year where everything's better now. Everything is fixed. Everything uh, has instantly. been fixed. Instantly. <laughs> like the clock hit midnight and suddenly everything was cured. I had tons of money. You know, there's just uh, happiness and joy fills the air. It's never going to rain again, but that's not a problem because drought <laughs> isn't a problem. So uh, there's no more climate change. Everything's perfect. Hooray. Yay. What a world we're in. <laughs> So we are going to be rounding out the discussion of Puffs. I'm excited to do it with you. I have to say, though, before we even get started talking about the play, it's something that came up when I was talking with David Gordon in our previous episodes, is that one of Leanne's socks, did you notice that one of her socks comes from a pair of socks that you gave me at our Nancy U Secret Santa? No, I did not. <laughs> yeah. No. So you gave me two pairs of socks. You gave me shark socks and carpe the fuck out of this DM socks, both of which I still wear to this day, all of the time. And <laughs> Leanne, one of her socks is a carpe the fuck out of this DM sock. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite things as a teacher is to wear socks that have swear words on them, but then wear boots so my students don't know that my socks say fuck. Mm -hmm. And that just is a complete and utter delight in my world because it feels like I have a secret to keep. Uh, so so, no, I did not see that she was wearing Carpe the Fuck Out of This DM. But also, I love that for her, and I love that character <laughs> choice. And uh, now it makes me want to go, because, again, most of this I'm teaching sometimes in my pajamas, and very frequently I'm not in socks <laughs> anymore uh, because I'm just wearing slippers, because why wear anything else? Right. Um, <laughs> but it does make me want to go get out. Um, I have My Cat is Cool as Fuck socks. That's very And good. it makes me want to get those out. There is the same brand. I think it's the same brand that does the... Carpy the fuck out of these DM socks. They do some lady socks. And this makes me very upset because my feet are too big to wear. Even uh, a, a large lady sock is going to just get holes in it very quickly. There's ones that have flower designs on them and they say, I'm a delicate fucking flower, which I would <laughs> love to wear. Yes. And then there's a different one. Again, this one only comes in women's sizes, which makes me very upset, is a old school drawing like you would find it in a Nancy Drew book or an Encyclopedia Brown book, an old school drawing of a girl sitting under a tree reading a book. And then there's a squirrel on a branch popping their head around the corner. And it just says, sup, nerd. <laughs> I've always wanted yes. them, but I just know that they would rip, like, after two wears. So I need to, like, maybe commission someone to make me I was a painting say, of it or something. This is where it comes in handy that you are an internationally famed podcaster because it means <laughs> that someone out there somewhere has the capability of making really awesome socks just for you. Okay, yes. I will, of course, commission them so I'm not getting them just straight up for free. But I do like working with artists to make things that either don't exist or I need to exist. I recently had my friend commission a drawing of my favorite line from the Toy Story franchise, which is when Woody goes, wind the frog in Sid's house. <laughs> and then for Christmas, I got my wife Kelly a sweater. She had a dream where she was wearing a sweater, and then she described that sweater to me. So I had my friend Samantha Rose, who has a knit 
craft store called Rogue Rose Gifts, and she made a custom sweater based on the sweater that Kelly had in her dreams, and I gave that to her for Christmas. So it's a good thing to do. I'll have to get someone to make me some sort of this version of a sup nerd thing that I can appreciate outside of socks that are too small for my feet. I actually just took up glass etching because we're in a pandemic, and so why not start new crafting? And I have decided that I really enjoy that as like a gift-giving thing because I can go to the dollar store and not spend a lot of money on a glass thing, but then use it to create something personalized. Super fun. And I, the other night, just made a set of beer steins for some of my friends (gasps) because they are in love with medieval culture. And part of that is there are things called pilgrim badges. So people would wear them and be like, oh, yes, I have taken this pilgrimage or this is something that I believe in, kind of as a symbol to other people and be like, this is something that I have done or achieved. But of course, human nature says that we can't just let them be like what they are. We also have to make dirty versions of them. So uh, the pilgrim badges that I made, one on each beer Stein. One is a penis that has wings and a crown. Good. And the other is a vulva that is riding a horse and shooting a bow and arrow. That's great. They're I like how much so more powerful good. that one is. They are <laughs> so good. And they're also so custom that like anybody else would look at that and be like, what on earth is this? But um, what I'm saying is that if you need a glass with a squirrel saying sup nerd, I got you. We'll see if we can make that happen and we'll ship it out to make that, that a thing. Oh, I can't wait. It'll be so great. So now that we've clearly been talking about Harry Potter for the past few minutes. Let's talk about Puffs, more (laughs) Harry Potter. So when we last left our heroes, they had just made my favorite joke in the entire play, which is when the narrator has the dictionary for book five saying, oh God, and then complaining about how big the book is. Just a lovely bit of prop humor. When year five begins, obviously everyone is very sad because Cedric died, and now we actually feel sad because we know Cedric's backstory rather than like, oh yeah, he was kind of nice in the four scenes we knew him in. Now we actually know Cedric, so it really stings. I think the play does a very good job of it, but it hurts when he dies. Uh, I have this this theory that whenever you're watching a drama or reading a drama, the nice person is always going to get it first. So uh, I'm currently working my way through Grey's Anatomy, and uh, I had a favorite character. It's like Game of Thrones now, man. Everybody dies. (laughs) Yes, and I fully understand that, and I knew that going into it as well. But my thought process with that was okay, this is my favorite intern when we started. And of course, that favorite person dies because they are good, because they are wholesome, and because that's going to hurt the audience the most. So when that happened in the original books, I was like, well, of course he died. Of course he's the first real tangible sense of death that these characters have to, you know, comprehend. Not that Harry's sense of death previously hasn't been comprehensible. Obviously, his loss of his parents is a huge impact on his life. Mm -hmm. But it was always still kind of this distant sort of memory as opposed to this is in front of him with his life right there in his hands kind of situation. And it leads well into the angst of book five. So I think that that is an important piece of that too. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that angst, you have Wayne in Puffs having a similar angstiness that Harry does when he's PTSD Harry in the beginning of book five. But Wayne is more of a of an angry drunk. He's grabbing a butterbeer and slurring his words and stumbling about. So it's a different take on uh, coping for Wayne here. And what really puts this into perspective for me is that Wayne actually knew Cedric and Harry was very upset about Cedric and he kind of knew this guy a little bit. But Wayne 
idolize this guy and all of the pups look up to him. So it makes sense that Wayne would be hurt harder by the loss of Cedric. Absolutely. Now, Wayne makes a fun observation, a classic little puff joke about making fun of the universe, especially the movie universe. Wayne points out that they don't have to wear uniforms anymore, which is something that starting in movie five, it was just like, yeah, they just wear street clothes now. I'm the new director. <laughs> I always found that really disconcerting, too, because as much as... Chris Columbus did a really great job of establishing this world and the details of this world. Seeing the changes in each director is always kind of jarring for me, especially watching it one after the other. I may get a lot of hate for this, but I stand by my decision. Book three, my favorite book. Movie three, my least favorite movie because it just is such an abrupt shift. So once we finally get again to new director, new costuming choices, all of those pieces, I like a lot of what he did. I can see why those choices are made, especially because you can tell a lot more in costumes that are not uniforms. Uh, There's only so much you can do to establish a character's wants and needs and desires and connections and all of those things that costumes can do when they're all wearing the same damn uniform. (laughs) Ah, yes, it's Ron, so his scarf is disheveled. Hermione's is perfect. Perfectly neat and tied in a nice little bow. Like, yes, that's about the extent of what we can get from our uniforms. But I wish that there had been some sort of transition. We understand that uniforms still exist in this world, but we get to see their street clothes underneath their uniforms, which are unbuttoned, untied. Un- I, mine is a graduation gown that I wear, so it's unzipped. But right. <laughs> how can we incorporate those pieces and still honor the past that has come from that. I definitely agree that movie three, I don't know if it's the worst movie, but for me, it's the most disappointing movie because I really enjoy the book and I felt like the movie was a letdown. But it would be fun to see if they stuck more to the uniforms because then it would have felt like high school for me where I went to a high school with a dress code. So we didn't have strict uniforms, but you had to wear dress pants of sorts. So khakis or slacks, something like that. And then any shirt with a collar, so a button down shirt or a polo, whatever. And by the time you became a senior, the combination of not caring as much about the rules, but then also they had some things where seniors got to start wearing sweatshirts of the college that you were going to, stuff like that. They started being more lax. Seniors got more dress sound days, stuff like that, because you've earned it, I guess, by being a senior. So it could have been a fun school thing to see the upperclassmen be like traditional, at least for me, dress code classmen, where the upperclassmen got more away with it because the teachers didn't care as much. And also the students just didn't care as much. Because like, what are you going to do? You were sending a note home with my parents. I'm 80 18 years old and I'm going to college. (laughs) Like, I don't care. Yep. That is one of the delights of chaperoning prom every year as a teacher is that uh, I I love it. I absolutely love it because (laughs) it is primarily a senior function. Underclassmen can go if they're invited by seniors, but it is primarily seniors. And uh, we hold it at the, it's called Mopop now. Uh, It's a museum of pop culture. And it's got this huge video screen wall and it's all massive sound system. And then the kids can actually go and walk through like music exhibits too, which is awesome. That is fantastic. It's such a cool prom experience. But the other piece is that as a chaperone, most of us are kind of like, well, we have these scissors to cut wristbands and tell kids to leave. But also... Eh, they're seniors. They're leaving. Like, <laughs> we're going to stand around the edges and make sure that they know that we're here. And if somebody's having a problem, they can come find us. But also, like, they're going to go dance. They're 18 years old. What are we going to do? So the fact that I get to go to Mopop and get paid to do it as a chaperone is is really awesome. But then also the fact that, like, I don't really have to be 
a strict chaperone is also one of the bigger benefits of that, too, because they're seniors. What are we going to do? Yeah, it's pretty good. And then you can politely let all of them know that prom is going to be bad. And for most people, it is very bad. So if they have a bad night, don't worry. That's the normal. My yep. prom experience was atrocious. Oh, it was no. so bad. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's OK. It's all in the past. It worked out. Did your mom chaperone? My mom did not chaperone. I don't know what the chaperone situation at our prom oh, my was. My mom chaperoned my senior prom. That feels like it could either be great or horrible, probably skewing towards horrible. It was OK. It I was disappointed because she was also a teacher at the high school I went to. So Mm, that kind of makes a little bit more sense. But I was like, okay, we've had four years. There have been so many dances that I didn't go to. And then the literally the one dance you chaperone in the four years that I'm at high school is my senior prom. Cool, mom. Cool. Thanks. But she lived in the coat room most of the night. So I only had to interact with her when I was doing coat room things. So that was fine. But I was still like, really? Of all the nights to chaperone? Cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was like, I just wanted to see you and your friends all dressed up. Okay, mom. You could have done that before I left when we took pictures. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of high school angst, someone does ask out loud, how long can one person be an angsty asshole? And Wayne and Harry from opposite sides of the stage and opposite doors open them and the dramatically scream, nobody understands. And then they slam the doors in unison. A <laughs> yes. great moment. A great moment. Uh, a quintessential summary of book five, yeah. in, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because that is... That is what book five is, which is why I feel like opposite flip of this, right? Book three, favorite book, least favorite movie. However, I do love the movie interpretation of the book that seems to drag on forever. Yes. They take the angst. And I think maybe it's just because I, I am better with visualizing that angst and I don't have to suffer through 500 and some odd pages of it. It's just like you know, a two hour movie. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's better. When the narrator is angsty, it doesn't make for as fun of a reading experience, but the ending of book five, A plus stuff. Absolutely. So Dumbledore asks Wayne if he has seen Harry so that he can explain important things about his life and why he's been ignoring him. Wayne says he hasn't seen him and Dumbledore says, ah, I guess it could wait till the end of the year, which I think made Kelly laugh the hardest when we were watching it. <laughs> right? Here's some very important things that I've been holding on to for a very long time that will help explain so much of your life. Eh, you know what? If I can't find you right now, it's really not that important. Thanks, Dumbledore. Ugh, communication is so important, Dumbledore. Come on. Not his strong suit at all. No, no, definitely not. But if he was a good communicator, then how would we experience all of this angst that's been built up? (laughs) We need it. It's so important. (laughs) So the students start to have the equivalent of Dumbledore's army meetings, but Sally announces, quote, oh, these AA meetings are great. Albus's army, the AA, which... Fun little joke of how poorly that name could have gone if a different acronym was chosen. And also another copyright twist, just to make sure that like, oh, we're not we're not copyright infringing this. It's Albus's army. <laughs> yeah, it's what's great is you avoid the copyright and you also get to make a joke on top of it. And the puffs that are in Albus's army, there's four of them, and they are all practicing stupefy, and they do a classic Mexican standoff stupefy where each one is pointed (laughs) at someone else, so when they all do stupefy, they all fall at the same time, but then they all come to, and then they are very happy that it worked! Yay, we all did it right! I also love the spell for this. It's not a stupefy spell, it's stupidify, Mm, so mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. just... 
perfect little adjustment to avoid that copyright infringement. And also it is exactly what it is because it's not just a stunning spell. It's also stupid in the way they do it. And I find that delightful. It's great. It's a great way to skirt it. And again, make a joke. So the narrator then just skips to the end of the book, which is the correct thing to do for book five. Absolutely. And Megan says to Oliver that she feels safe now, knowing that nothing horrible happened that year. And then they start to share a kiss. Then there is a parody of what definitely sounds like Kiss from a Rose by Seal. It's one of those things where it it sounds close enough, you know what they are going for, much like when they did the Chumbawamba reference with the uh, tub-thumping-esque song they did earlier. Something that happens before that uh, that I also found delightful and is a, a little script tidbit that I think people might enjoy. Uh, Jay Finch is going through and talking about like the good things that happened and he finished his life's dream. I ate all the flavored beans, all of them, all the flavored beans he ate. Top five, booger, spinach, spinach booger, watermelon, and number one, everyone provides a drum roll. And then this in the script is just left as a blank. Mm. You can fill it in with whatever it is that you want. The suggestions, though, of what it could be, chamomile tea, seagull, (laughs) the taste of victory, the concept of friendship, Ah. human, Ooh. <laughs> Pasta, something local, whatever. I have always wondered. Right? <laughs> like, that'd be a terrible thing to find out. Like, I was in Norway and I've eaten horse before, and horse tastes very good, and now I think differently about horses. But uh, I, I don't think I ever want to find out what human tastes like, because what if it tastes really good? This is also why you have a podcast called Horse, right? <laughs> yes, that is, that is it's it's definitely about that. We just talk about <laughs> eating horses every other episode. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a recipe podcast so that we can uh, how all the different ways to cook a horse. <laughs> Next time, horse hoof stew. <laughs> Ooh, some people call it glue. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the variety of when they mean every flavor, they or when they say every flavor, they mean every flavor. And so the idea of the taste of victory or the concept of friendship, what would that taste like? And I found that utterly delightful. And also, again, as an improviser, something to play with every night would be fun to like, oh, I wonder what's in here. So much fun. So much fun. Part of the Oliver and Megan kiss that I enjoy is that her very black lipstick gets all over Oliver and it's a very fun smudge situation. Wayne catches them in the act, which is a great parallel to the, oi, there's a war going on here. One of my favorite Harry lines of all time. Wayne then goes on to apologize for being an angsty asshole. They hug it out. And then Sally says, oh no, he whose name we can't say. Again, I love that they've turned the joke also of avoiding the copyright into it's like a double thing. We can't say it for legal reasons. We also can't say it because of the jinx that's on it. He whose name we can't say is definitely back. (laughs) Harry fought him again. (laughs) This is where the narrator comes in and says amidst a state of national terror, year five was done and then throws the book off stage. A stage crew member is injured. The script here has literal stage crew member says Ah! <laughs> so there's a cast piece in there for, for our technical buddies. That's very fun. I believe in the upcoming interview I have with the trio cast plus the narrator, I asked about throwing that book in if anyone ever got hurt. And I think only one time someone genuinely got hurt by the book toss. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. You know, past Katie, I'm glad too. Hey everyone, it's me editing Mike. You know what else makes me glad? It's when we are able to take a little bit of a break for my favorite segment of the show, which is something we like to call Wingardium Adrian Dosa. 
Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Skillshare. Let's say hypothetically that you are Oliver from Puffs and you aren't necessarily the strongest in magical abilities. You want to develop your skills outside of the poor teaching you're receiving at Hogwarts. How can you strengthen your skills? You could use Skillshare. It's the new year and no matter what this new year brings, you can spend it creating something meaningful with Skillshare's online classes because time is what we make of it. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. Whether you want to explore some new hobbies you want to tackle some real projects, you want to create something new, or you just want support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. They have classes in animation, they have classes in productivity, they have classes in marketing, they have classes in photography. There's so many different things. One that inspires me and something that I would be interested in taking is they have a bunch of different creative writing courses, and one is called Creative Writing for All, a 10-day journaling challenge by Emily Gould. There's some podcasts that I would like to work on that would involve more of a writing process, and this isn't something I'm well-versed in. So doing this short little challenge could kind of kickstart me into developing this skill. And another great thing about Skillshare, in addition to being flexible, since you can do it on your computer, from your home, whenever you want to, it is also more affordable compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. And you right now as a Potterless listener can explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash Potterless and get a free trial of a premium membership. Again, that is Skillshare.com slash Potterless and you'll get a free trial of a Skillshare premium premium membership. So go to Skillshare.com slash Potterless, get that free trial, and start learning some wizarding skills that your teachers aren't teaching you today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, Neville Longbottom is someone who likes to collect cards. He likes to collect the chocolate frog cards. And it's got to be a frustrating experience for him to be ripping open all these chocolate frog things, hoping for particular cards. What if there was slightly less randomness in the mix? What if he had a better sense of what cards he could get? Ooh, that sounds like something that could intrigue you if you were trying to get muggle versions of trading cards and stuff. And if that's interesting to you, you should check out Arena Club. Arena Club is a website and service where you can do all sorts of things in the world of trading cards, whether that is sports trading cards or Pokemon cards, you can utilize Arena Club and they have so many cool things. One of the coolest things that they have is slab packs. Slab packs give you more transparency when it comes into ripping open packs and hoping for particular cards in a pull. And I recently opened up a slab pack with Arena Club and it was nice because rather than it just be like this complete black box of I have no idea what cards I'm going to get, they show you a list of, oh, here are the different cards that you could get from this pack. Here's the percentages. And then what's also nice about it 
is that if you don't like whatever card you get, you can just sell it right on back to Arena Club and then boom, you can take those funds and use them to get other cards because they also have a full marketplace where you can search for individual cards. I did that as well. I wanted to get a particular Pokemon card. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu. It's holographic. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now and it's proudly in my studio. Arena Club is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, display, minting, all sorts of good stuff. If you are involved or interested in any sort of card collecting, trading cards, stuff like that, I think Arena Club will be right up your alley. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potterless. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack, for example. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So check that out if you want to have a little less randomness in your life, whether it is with muggle trading cards or chocolate frog cards like Neville today. So then we get into year six, which, again, the narrator just killing it at this point. Nobody was safe. Wandmakers, bridges, no one. <laughs> which Yes, very ah. distinct, absolute reference to the movie, perfectly done. A-plus stuff, A-plus stuff. The Cedric actor, speaking of A-plus, is now cast as Voldemort. Yeah, And he's wearing a green swimming cap and a silky robe with just tape over his nose. And just the casting decision to turn the nicest person that we all love into the villain is absolutely genius. It's beautiful. From a logistical perspective, it makes sense because Voldemort wasn't in the beginning of the play and now Cedric's dead, so he can't be in the end of the play. And what's fun, and Matt Cox, the writer of Puffs, as well as in a future interview I'll be posting with the other actors, one of which is James Foey, who played Cedric slash Voldemort. Many people watching the play don't realize at first that the person playing Voldemort was the same person who played Cedric. So everyone gets to have this aha moment at different times. Some people right away, some people later on, some people see the play multiple times and they don't even get it. It took me a minute to realize that it was the same actor because obviously I, I had noticed that there's a lot of doubling up in different pieces in here, but it took me a minute to be like, oh, wait, who is... Oh, wait a sec. Oh, mm -hmm. it's so and good. I love that realization. And I love sharing that with my students, too, because it's a cool opportunity to be like, look at the range that you have to have as a performer for certain shows. Right. You can't just go out there and specialize in one thing. You have to be able to go out there and do lots of different things. And that includes changing your voice, changing your physicality. You can't just be you saying lines on stage. You have to develop these skills so that you can do really awesome things like be 14 different characters on stage and have the audience not immediately realize that it's you. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. cool stuff. Such cool stuff. So then Voldemort goes into a little bit of a monologue. He refers to the Death Eaters as his death buddies and says, death buddies, fetch me my broom. Yay, death buddies. <laughs> death buddies is so fun. But also bringing up one of my biggest gripes with the movies, I hate this so, 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 so much, is one of the death buddies goes, oh, we don't need brooms to fly anymore. We just can, which I don't even have to go on about how much I hate that the Death Eaters getting to fly in the movies just ruin the reveal of Voldemort flying in book slash movie seven. I hate it so much. It made me so, so upset because it's such a fun moment. And I'm so glad the puffs dunked on it. It made me so incredibly happy. Vindicated. It's, yes, it's vindication yes, in terms yes, yes, of, yes. wait a second, you can't just take this reveal away from something else. This is an important moment, an important character development, and you can't just throw it away and be like, oh, by the way, this happens. Unless, of course, it's a satire, in which case it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. So he rewards this particular death buddy with a show of affection, which is a creepy hug that turns into a massage, that turns into the worst version of what Gomez Adams does to 
Morticia Adams with kissing up the arm to show love, but it's just like licking up <laughs> the arm. The death buddy to the crowd mouths help me, which is great during the whole thing. I think it's the same actor who plays Jay Finch, so it's great that he does a very good job of being concerned person. So... <laughs> Uh, it's just a fun moment and just to set the stage right away with Voldemort amping up the creepy and weird and strange is just such a fun character development and character choice and it's so strong. I think this is really where I started to have fun with the story Mm -hmm. which you're like okay book six we're almost done with it not that I wasn't having fun before but book six is really where I was like oh I feel like we're starting to have fun now and get to play with this story of Puffs as an entity, we're not just mocking the Harry Potter series, but it's really starting to to find its own sense of characters as well. Absolutely love this moment. And it made me feel like as a, a creative director, like what fun could I have with that moment? How else could we extend that and expand that moment into other death buddies, like trying to pull somebody away, other death buddies being like, well, you go do it. No, 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 you go do it. Like, I can't, no. And just how how can the rest of the cast really have fun with that moment too? Because as much as I love directing a script, it's the moments in between the script where I feel like I really get to be creative, which, haha, funny. How did I end up in an improv where there is no script <laughs> at all? Who would have guessed something like that? But this this is absolutely one of those moments where I would love to work with my students in this and be like, okay, I want this to be the most awkward possible moment. Like, okay, cool. What you just showed me is a three of awkward. How can we make it more awkward, yes. dig deeper? So all of those wonderful things. I think that's what's so fun about this portrayal of Voldemort and the Death Buddies and the relationship between the two is that it's playing on a little bit of the Ray Fiennes vocal work, but then amping that up to the next level. It's making a strong choice of saying, okay, Voldemort is creepy. What direction should we take the creepy? Rather than him being hellbent on murder, what if he was overly affectionate creepy? And then also there's the little nugget of the awkwardness between the Death Eaters and Voldemort in the books of them being afraid of him. Let's play that up so high. And the Death Buddies are so afraid of Voldemort that they're uncomfortable to be around him and they're incompetent and they're just very, very scared, which is just a great way to take little character dynamics that already exist and then just to turn them all up to 11 makes for comedic gold. This is also a moment too, though, where it kind of does a bit of that foreshadowing, right? Because at this point, I imagine most people have already seen the hug between Voldemort and Draco that actually happens in movie seven. And that is a a delightful, awful little nugget that when we were watching it in theaters in all of our costumes being like, oh my God, this is the end. It's fine. Wait, what the hell? Why is he hugging Draco? (laughs) What is going on? Okay, now I'm back to being sad because this is the end of an era. But obviously it's not because we're still making podcasts about it. So <laughs> <laughs> the the idea that the hug with Draco is not the first time that that has happened, I really enjoy. So Voldemort talks to Megan's mom and sends her to the school to recruit Megan, seemingly, and then also heavily implied that if Megan refuses, that her mom should kill her. So in addition to setting up him being creepy, he's still cold-blooded. Like, he's still Voldemort at his core. Yep. Awful dude, doing awful stuff. Uh, however, year six puffs, the mummy returns. <laughs> Great way of of segueing that in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because see, in Britain, 
It's a mummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brendan Fraser. Ah, oh, classic. What a great ride. Gosh, perfect roller coaster. So <laughs> we cut to the trio. Megan says that Wayne needs a lady friend. And after an awkward encounter with Susie, after Oliver says, what about Susie? Wayne says, quote, as long as the school doesn't become suddenly sexual, I'll be fine. And the narrator effectively kicks the door down, saying quite loudly, how wrong he was and then there's a raunchy music it's something definitely that makes sense to make fun of but also in real life i feel like switching from that age because what are they sixth year at hogwarts year 16 yeah that about tracks of when you start really having hormones kick in and things are getting like it, it was abrupt in the books and the movies but it also was abrupt in life so i think it's fine <laughs> absolutely i love this side tangent with ron of him being jealous that there are crushes there are things like that but his his piece with lavender pardon me lav lav <laughs> i enjoyed that because it wasn't so much motivated out of like his own personal feelings but out of a sense of jealousy and wanting to belong which is a core value of ron to begin with mm-hmm. i feel like at least in my experience that's what i saw too like well everybody else is dating someone should i i should probably be dating someone i don't think i'm ready to date someone but everybody else is dating someone so i should probably be dating someone because i guess it's time to date people now i really related to that not even necessarily so much out of jealousy but out of fear like Mm -hmm. if i don't date someone there's something wrong with me so i absolutely see that and recognize that in here in terms of like oh even if they aren't necessarily interested in it at 16, it is important because everybody else is. Yes, for sure. I can relate to it, definitely. I can also relate to it on another level in that I went to an all-boys high school and I moved to Texas right after graduating eighth grade, so I knew no girls. Oh, no. So the only way for me to make girl friends was to have a girlfriend. And uh, that isn't the most effective way to make girl friends friends because then if you and your girlfriend break up you lose all of the friends yes <laughs> so. yes absolutely was that like a calculated move on your parents that was like listen no we have a son <laughs> we absolutely need to make sure that nothing untoward is going to happen let's move across the country and ensure <laughs> that he meets no one of the female sex <laughs> <laughs> No, it was just my dad, bless his heart, he worked in oil and gas in New Jersey, so it's only a matter of time before you get relocated to Houston, Texas, and they wanted him to move when I was graduating seventh grade, going into eighth grade, and my sister was going from junior year to senior year of high school, and he was like, you've got to be kidding me. Both of my children, who are four years apart, are at very pivotal moments in their schooling life, can I move one year later? And the compromise they had to reach was he worked two weeks in Houston, two weeks in New Jersey, on and off, for a full year so that my sister could graduate high school and I could graduate middle school. So that was great. But then it was just getting to where we ended up living in Houston. We were not in the best school district and my parents wanted to send me to a private school. And at least the way the schools closest to us in Houston, Texas worked, the the highest academic schools you could attend we're all boys. So, uh, I'm yep. so glad that your parents fed you that lie and that your parents were so <laughs> committed uh, in order to make sure that you were meeting no girls until you graduated from high school. So, um, yeah, yeah, congratulations to them. <laughs> but well done. 
<laughs> oh, geez. So Oliver comes back from this raunchy little montage of sorts with a big lipsticky residue covered face. And Wayne talks to Oliver and says that he was thinking of trying out for the sports team. And I do appreciate that they do just call it the sports team since there is just the one sport. So now we get into, and I'm glad you're here for this as fellow improv comedian, the yes, explicitly my favorite part of the show, the explicitly improvised Zach Smith scene. And on the most recent episode of Potterless that just came out, I talked with Matt Cox about how this came to be. It grew from an improvised line into an entire scene. And I saw this live first. And I'm going to be honest, I hated, 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 hated this scene. Not because of the improv itself or anything with the actor, but the inspiration for the bit that they were doing was like a meme that was going around Twitter at the time. I don't even remember what it was, but it was one of those videos and it was making fun of that. So the improv felt like it wasn't part of the world. It was right. bringing something outside in, trying to be funny instead of being funny in the moment and honest. Exactly. It was something, and I'm sure that this is just a, I had done improv for years upon years at this point, so I have very particular gripes that 99% of people don't care about. <laughs> but I was like, uh, you, you're not being funny on your own. You're just using this thing that is already funny and then you're just making a joke at it. It. But this version in the filmed one where they do the recap of 27 dresses as his crazy summer is so fucking hilarious. Yes, I loved it. Um, also because I kind of hate rom-coms, but for some reason I have somehow seen 27 dresses like 14 times. You got to see it 13 more. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I refuse. <laughs> uh, because again, I, I am not a fan of it. I don't enjoy the movie, but I got onto this joke immediately. And I think the difference between what you may have seen live versus what is in the recorded version of it with the 27 dresses bit is that sometimes it feels like you know, if you're pulling something that is intentionally funny or an intentionally timely, you know, whatever's going on on TikTok or, or you know, Twitter, whatever was being pulled there, it feels like an intentional reach. And maybe not everybody can be in on that joke. And I think that's one of the things that I struggle with as an improviser is when people are pulling in inside jokes, whether it's from a rehearsal or from a very small piece of information, and it feels like it alienates the audience, that the only people who can get that are the people that understand that. Whereas... With 27 Dresses, I got it because it was funny and I recognized that it was 27 Dresses. But also, even if you had never seen 27 Dresses, it would just be this completely, utterly ridiculous story and it still would stand on its own. And you don't have to have any other contextual information other than this is what's happening in this show right now. Yes. It also reminded me of my favorite improv warm-up game. I don't know if they do this one at Jet City. We did it at CSC Seattle all the time. Sorry, I'm late, boss. Yeah. Where you all stand in a group and then you have to explain why you're late and you just slowly recap the plot of some film. And then whoever guesses what movie you are saying, it, they are the ones that get to go next. And gosh, oh. I love doing that one. We have a, a stage game that's kind of similar to that, but it doesn't involve summarizing a movie. It's you're giving excuses and it's a guessing game. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it's like murder party or murder train yeah. or murder chain, depending on what you call it. Chain murder, whatever. It's it's all the Every same Every improv right. theater calls it murder something. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know why you are late, but you know that you are late and your two coworkers who are helping you are charading out your means of transportation of how you ended up getting to work, like who you were with or where you were, etc. And then it's like, oh, I was yes. escaping from Mount Vesuvius eruption, riding on a dolphin uh, with the prime minister of, you know, Equatorial Guinea. Yeah, exactly. 
I love the idea of this, though, that you have to then share uh, the plot of something that has happened recently or is some sort of movie um, and people have to guess that. I love that concept and I definitely want to carry that forward with me into the future. Yeah, I just appreciate with the 27 Dresses reference, as you mentioned, it's something that's funny on its own. It's extra funny if you get that he's recapping 27 Dresses and it's just so fun with how long it is drawn out and it's fun to see all of the other characters try desperately hard to not break character and laugh while on stage which is always fun yes especially because they a know that an improvised chunk is coming but b never know what it's going to be and so watching them figure out the piece about the 27 dresses watching them like as it dawns on their little like their, I'm going to call it their actor brain instead mm-hmm. of their character brain. Right. It's not the characters figuring out. It is the actual actor on stage breaking and realizing like, oh, oh, this is what he's doing. So that is just an absolute delight. Yes. One thing that I do wish that he would do is if in order to make it really improvised, I guess, is like, how could they somehow incorporate an audience suggestion mm-hmm. with that? Not necessarily breaking character and being like, okay, from the audience, I right. need something. Mm-hmm. Um, but how is there a way that that could become some sort of moment of interaction because that I feel like is also a true part of joy with improv and and lets the audience know that it's improvised as well because if again if somebody is just walking off the street and doesn't realize that it's improvised because that's a possibility right how could they make that happen exactly and I do appreciate that when you watch it at least on Broadway HD in the end credits they have other versions of the Zach Smith improvised scene and it's again doing more movie recaps so I think part of the extra fun of the game is the actors with their actor brains trying to think okay what movie is he doing this time so I would like to live in a world where he just did every rom-com that existed as his summer (laughs) but I really love that at the very end after doing this whole very long tangent about recapping the plot of 27 Dresses, he ends it by saying, oh, but then I had to say that I was still a wizard boy, so I had to use a mind array spell, and now I'm back here. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway, let's start these tryouts. Exactly. So they begin tryouts. Zach Smith says that no one makes the team because it's a one-man team, Zach Smith, and then runs off stage. So I appreciate that Zachariah Smith, who is an awful, very annoying person in the books, I'm glad that translated into puffs because not every puff is going to be good. Every house is going to have some bad apples. And Zach Smith is the bad apple of the puffs. He's the red delicious of the puffs. (laughs) They're so bad. It's the most incorrectly named fruit ever ever. Yes. It's false advertising. It is red. That's true. It's half correct. And nobody's going to buy something called a red mealy. Yeah. A red mushy and gross. Mm, Yeah. A red disappointment. (laughs) My favorite apple. Official petition to turn red delicious into red disappointment. (laughs) So later on, we have Sally very much flirting with Wayne. He doesn't realize it at first, but then his senses come too. He asks her out on a date and we then cut to Xavier setting up a meeting with Megan under the guise that it was Oliver. And she uses Imperion instead of Imperious and takes Megan along with her. Now we go back to Sally and Wayne. Sally has Wayne chase her and then 
He gives him the most innocent of pecks, and then once that tiny, tiny kiss is complete, she jumps into his arms, straddles him, wraps her legs around him, raunchy music starts playing, just zero to 100, so ridiculously quick. That is always fun, too, I will say, as a, a high school theater teacher, is choreographing kisses with my kids, and teaching them, and being like, well, have you kissed somebody before? Like, is this something that, because I don't know, I try to not involve myself in that part of their lives. And for some kids, like, this has been their first kiss. And I'm like, okay, sorry, friend, but also let's have the talk about this being a stage kiss and, like, where our boundaries are and and all kinds of really interesting layers in there. So that's definitely a fun thing in terms of, like, negotiating that with, with my students and talking about how that respect layer comes in there and then trying to choreograph something like this. That like is, oh, just a tiny little innocent peck. Easy peasy. We can usually make that happen. But I'm like, okay, now you need to jump into somebody's arms and rub your arms all over their back. <laughs> and like, yeah, that's oh, okay, cool. So uh, sometimes I think about that in terms of like when I'm making a decision about I'm going to produce this play, what are the lines that I can or cannot get away with? And are there ways that I could do this in terms of like, okay, we have that innocent peck. And then can they look each other and like run off stage? Nope, not in this scene. But in a satire like this, we could make it like a very intentionally visible stage kiss as well. Mm -hmm. So like they each take their hands and like put them over their mouths and then are just like (laughs) wiping their hands next to each other. And which is gross. That sounds so gross. But also (laughs) it would be hysterical because the audience would very clearly know that they are not kissing. Mm -hmm. And I find that hysterical as well. So Wayne asks Sally, but what about the measures about intermingling? And Sally says that, yeah, for the other houses, they do that. But they didn't think that the puffs would ever run into this situation. We don't even get the special teenage magic talk. And they show you what the special teenage magic talk involves with a little behind the sliding doors scene of Snape just taking out a wand and then taking out a donut and then very slowly kind of doing the obvious and then just ends it by saying Lily. And then that's the end of that. Uh, that stage direction is not included. Oh, no, it's okay. Just, uh, he says uh, um, uh, the birds... Um, the, the bees, he gets a faraway look in his eyes. Lily, a certain potions teacher exits. See, I, I think I would have liked that more than the wand and the donut thing. <laughs> the choice of Snape is perfect because he would be the absolute worst person. Yes. I guess Filch, but I don't think he would be in the running. <laughs> but he's the worst <laughs> choice. And to hear him stumbling over the birds oh, and the bees. Oh, no, <laughs> now I need a Filch scene with the... No! <laughs> <laughs> When you run Puffs for your high school, you can make it happen. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) So Megan and Oliver are trapped by Xavier. Xavier has both of their wands, and Wayne comes running into the scene, yelling, and then tries to play it off cool and goes, I'm not running from a sexual experience. (laughs) (laughs) Xavier then enters. She gets Wayne tied up as well. Megan is very excited. She tries to play it off cool that she isn't, you know, a huge fan of her own mom, but fails to do so. Xavier then pulls the I'm not mad, I'm disappointed card, saying that Megan is just a puff. Oh, the worst. Uh, Xavier says Megan needs to prove that she is not a puff by hurting and slash or killing Oliver and Wayne. So, you know, just setting the stakes incredibly high. Thankfully, Megan refuses. Xavier says that she's disappointed and will do what she must. And she brings them all in and kneels them down and then says, Avada Kababa, Avada Kaduber, Abracabra, bruh. <laughs> 
bruh, bruh. <laughs> I love that this plays on the idea that Avada Kedavra is a play on Abracadabra. We then bring that back. It, it seems very full circle to me of silly, goofy magician, actual historic wizardry, and also parody. It's the the trifecta of of comedy right there. It's fantastic. And Megan says, I'm sorry, have you done this before? And Zivia says, yes, maybe. And then she goes on to say that the Dark Lord recruited her himself. And then they do a flashback to that day in 1981. To a dance club. A dance club. And it's a Voldemort party. And everyone is wearing these absurd two-toned 80s glasses where they're just huge. And it's wildly ridiculous in the best way. It made me think of Rocky Horror Picture Show Mm. a little bit, like in, in terms of just putting on these outlandish costumes. So I definitely think that that would be, you know, for somebody who's producing it out there that can also do that, I cannot do the Rocky Horror Show at a high school theater for some (laughs) strange reason. Uh, But if you have those costumes available, that would be a great way to bring those in again. Yeah. So Xavier asks to be in the Death Buddies and Voldemort says yes. And then as he is leaving, says, now I'm off to kill a baby and leaves. And then a very tiny note is that when the flashback ends, they say flashback managed, which is a great little Marauder's Map reference. That's how I end all of my flashbacks. (laughs) Isn't that how everyone manages their flashbacks? Montage managed, flashback managed, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Xavier then accidentally releases them all. And then Megan realizes, oh, you're just a puff. And then Xavier goes, hi, uh, never. And Xavier is just in denial. She says that the puffs are failures. And then this brain blasts Wayne into saying that failure is what makes the puffs the best. So bringing in that sentiment that Cedric had earlier. Besides being so close to the kitchen. Exactly. He then says that they are the mighty ducks of wizards. No, the mighty ducks too of wizards. (laughs) And I appreciate referencing the mighty ducks. However, I don't think this analogy really holds up. Because in Mighty Ducks 2... They win, and they defeat Iceland. I do love that they made Iceland the villain in Mighty Ducks 2. They basically turned them into Russia, but they couldn't, (laughs) since every movie in the late 80s and early 90s was making Russia the bad guy because of the Cold War. (laughs) They were like, ah, how do we make Russia the bad guy but not make Russia the bad guy? Iceland. Iceland. Because, you know, ice. Even though Iceland is not close to Russia? No. Geographically, culturally, they're very different. Oh, they're completely different. But if you watch Mighty Ducks 2, this time it's personal. (laughs) It's very much they're Russia, but they can't make them Russia because it's a kid's movie. Mighty Ducks 2, Electric Boogaloo? Yeah, what? Does it actually have a sub? I'm sure that it does. I have no idea what it is, though, because remember how I said I'm bad at movies? I am almost positive before I Google it. I'm pretty sure it's just D2 colon the Mighty Ducks. Ooh, that does sound Uh, right. And yes, it is. It is D2 colon the Mighty Ducks, a 1994 film. <laughs> That's so strange that they called it D2, The Mighty Ducks. Yeah, well... What a choice! Th- you know, there's there's a lot out there. And I just want to let you know that, again, for, for the sake of what I'm imagining here, because I have seen none of the Mighty Ducks movies, I have no idea how they how they work, uh, other than it's probably some small scrappy team that wins at the end because that's how sports movies works. But I am, for some reason, conflating Mighty Ducks with the Air Bud series. Oh, oh, similar timing, but very, very okay, different. I'm positive this is about a dog that plays hockey. Or or is it a duck? Oh, it's a duck that plays hockey. That's definitely what it is, right? That's why they're ducks? I mean... <laughs> It, it is, it's a bunch of children. No, so the Mighty Ducks starts with Emilio Estevez, who is Gordon Bombay, this hotshot financial guy of sorts, no joke, getting a DUI. This is a Disney film. He gets a DUI and his court sentencing is that he needs to coach youth hockey in the community. <laughs> That's 
the Muddy Ducks, and he gets this ragtag group of kids, and then they uh, struggle at first, but then they band together, and spoiler alert, in the final game, there's a shootout, and Charlie does a successful triple deke, and then they score, and yeah. then they win, and everyone's very excited. Yeah, and and this ragtag group of kids, they're they're not actually children, they're ducks, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, and... <laughs> great. I'm never going to watch this movie because anything that I see is going to be a disappointment based on what I have going on in my brain right now, which is ducks wearing uh, ice skates. Mm-hmm. The one true link that does exist between the Mighty Ducks and Airbud wildly is alcoholism because <laughs> there is a drunk alcoholic clown in... Airbud, and then Gordon Bombay gets arrested for a DUI in the first one. So there is that connection. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Wayne was kind of drunk on butterbeer. So that there absolutely, is. there it is. There's the connection. Mm, we have come full circle. So <laughs> Wayne mentions that Cedric knew this and maybe Helga did too. And after Oliver says that they never got to finish the story, Wayne successfully SEO books the Helga story and then we get the rest. So they are picking the students. Brave says students who are brave. Smart says students who are smart. And then Snake says students who speak as if they are always about to throw a glass of white wine in your face, which as someone that tangentially watched a lot of reality TV on Bravo because my mom used to watch it and I would do homework at the kitchen table and I would hear this going on in the other room. So I watched a lot of Real Housewives by Osmosis. This one just struck a funny bone with me. I really enjoyed it. Yes, absolutely. This is another one where there are some options in there as well. Ooh, yes, please. So one that says, uh, children who tell you they want to show you something cool, and so you follow them for miles and miles through the dark, scary forest, and when you get there, they just push you into the dirt and laugh, and laugh because ha 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 what fun, you know, those kinds of children. <laughs> Other solid options here include 11-year-olds with henchmen, mm. and also feel free to find your own. Uh, the throwing a glass of white wine in your face, though, I also think is my favorite. There's something about white wine that feels the most throwable of the alcohols. Oh, absolutely. It comes with that attitude of just being a Karen, mm, uh, mm. I think, right? That's the the let me talk to your manager haircut, the glass of wine. And, uh, you know, I'm just here for a light, easy, breezy lunch with my friends. And you have come in here and told me that I cannot do something that is very clearly against the rules, but I am special. So if I can't have what I want, then I'm going to ruin something of yours. It's absolutely white wine. But not ruin it too much because red wine would absolutely destroy whatever it gets on. White wine, you just you just got to wash it. It's going to smell bad if you right. don't. If I were to make it even more specific, there would definitely be like two ice cubes in the wine. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Well. Or it would be Moscato, which is the, you know, the sugariest wine that is out there. The cotton candy of wine. I was, I was going <laughs> to say the cotton candy of wine. That's so funny. <laughs> so Helga Hufflepuff says, I'll take the rest of them because as long as they're willing to work hard, everyone should have a place here. Sure, their skill levels will be all over the place, but that's okay. There's always room to improve. It's a school, right? And I screamed out loud, right, it's a school, because... They never really address in Hogwarts, very rarely do they treat the school like a school. I look at it from a teaching perspective and I'm like, they don't have any learning targets posted. Mm -mm. Very rarely are their lesson plans aligned (laughs) to national standards or (laughs) or even state standards. Uh, There is very little standardized testing that's coming across the board here, Mm -hmm. but when it is, it's very poorly executed. So that's true to form. (laughs) Again, looking at the classes that they have, right? Potions is just, here's some ingredients, put them in a pot and hope for the 
the best. There's no talk about the skills that they need, the knife skills or the stirring skills. It's just like, here's your instructions, follow them. Same thing with transfiguration. Here's a teacup, figure out how to turn it into a rat. Good luck if you can't. Mm -hmm. Here's your your incantation. If you can't say it right and you're Leviosa or Leviosa, right? There, There's no correction. The teachers aren't doing any sort of teaching. They're simply doing structured lesson plans, which is a lot like what uh, online teaching feels like, by the way. Here, have a worksheet. Go do your teaching. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. There, There is no sense of teaching that happens at that school. Absolutely. It's like, well, either you can do it or you can't. And if you can't do it, then remedial potions for you, which is likely going to be the same thing because we're just going to give you more ingredients and hope you can figure it out. Yep. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So I'm glad they made this point. And I also appreciate the final line that Helga says here, and that'll be the final line that we cover in this episode of Potterless. Helga says, quote, why be one thing when you can be everything else? And I really appreciate that. I appreciate that sentiment. And I just like that Puffs has been very much a humorous play and a satirical play, but I like that it can have some moments of genuine, heartfelt, good moments. And also, in addition to poking fun at the Puffs, can show, hey, the Puffs are actually really great, and here's why, and they are incredibly underrated, which I firmly agree with. It made me think of the full quote, uh, a jack of all trades, right? Oftentimes it's used as a kind of a derogatory term, right? Oh, look at you. You're a real jack of all trades. Yeah. The full quote, though, is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. I've never heard the second part of that. Right? And I'm so upset right? because I've always considered myself more of a jack of all trades from sports. I was never good at necessarily one versus the others in school, in creative endeavors, whatever it is. I I always felt like I've been kind of good at a lot of different things, but not necessarily a specialist in one. And that made me upset at first. I felt like the Mario of life where Mario <laughs> always is like a little bit good at every stat when you play various Mario games. So yes. I appreciate knowing that full quote. That's great. Right? Yeah. It's like, sure. It's good to have specialties. It's good to be an expert in something, but it's better still to have a little bit of skill in lots of different things because that's going to make you a more well-rounded human, more kind, more generous, more relatable. And, and I have always really enjoyed that. And the fact that that quote is not out there for everyone to understand, right? Jack of all trades is not derogatory. Being a jack of all trades is better than just only knowing one thing. Although, to be fair, if I have a surgeon, I want them to be a specialty yes. in whatever it is that they're doing them. True. Please, <laughs> please make sure you know what you're doing before you slice into my body. Yes. Sometimes better than a master of one, unless we're talking about surgery, <laughs> then I want the most <laughs> masterful of the one thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Grey's Anatomy, for teaching me that. Oh, incredible. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining on for this penultimate Puffs episode that we have done. I know you, you said everything's on lockdown, so I guess aside from promoting the rest of that quote, is there anything else? you'd like to shout out in this portion of the podcast? Uh, let's promote uh, kindness. Cool. Let's promote self, like, uh, how, how can I put this? Like being kind to yourself, not yeah. just to other people because oh, yeah. we're, we're interacting with not a lot of other people. But like, I feel like the beginning of the year is a time where people are like, oh, I have to fix everything and resolve everything. And I ate poor over the holidays and I have to lose all the weight and I have to set all the goals. Um, so let's promote making your goal being kind to yourself this year. I like it. That's good. It's a good resolution to have. I appreciate it. So again, Katie, thank you so much for being on the pod. Listeners, thanks for listening. And as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they read the full version of quotes that they never knew the second half of wizard on <laughs> 
It's the new year and a multitude we all have our goals to try to bring new things into the world. And the way that we are able to do that is with your support via the multi-crew. If you go to multicrew.club, you can become a member of the multi-crew. You'll get sweet bonus access into the things that we're working on before we release them to the public. You'll get access to Head Heart Gut and you'll just get lots of fun emails and secret Instagram accounts and all sorts of stuff from us so you can see what we are working on with the help of your support. Again, that's multicrew.club. Potterless was created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Clauser Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfili, Rosemary, Dosh, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Elnor, Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Consulver, John Cocker, Noel Basilay, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amida Alfor, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Maya, Flor Sake, Georgia Davis, Skyler Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Fail on the Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeal, Kevin Stewart, Jarl, Sviven, Pita McGrath, Jen and Rose Daub, Callahan and Daraz, Leah Reed, Bella Barlak, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, Madison, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Sabrina Bossiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie DeGrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Boney Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kidas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Miranda, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Leo Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Jennifer Terzi, and Henrika Wolf, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Casey Canales, Megan Stempen, Zot, Jack Gitzes, Sophia Leone, Dane Nemcher, Robin Garcia, Chick Parr, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, The Real Stan Chunpei, Call Call Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Ashley Somers, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Laurel, Mazatov, Hila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Hunter Gordon, Mary Price, Artemis, Trans People or People, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe McHufflepuff, Punkfish, Rochelle Mobs, Wire Warrior, Catherine Carolchak, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Potter. Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campamadas. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com for bonus content. You can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless. And for merchandise, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, you think of someone that might like it, why don't you reach out, shoot them a message, say, hey, here's this podcast. I think you'll like it. Send them a link. Or you can leave a rating or review online. Those help a bunch. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.